Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. The line. The line. The line must be drawn here. This far, no father. <laughs> I was but we have gone farther. We have gone farther than we have ever gone before. Because you know what this is, Dave? This is our season two bonus episode where we Woo-hoo! rewatch Star Trek First Contact. So at the end of last season, Dave and I actually were able to get together in person and enjoy a conversation about Star Trek Generations. Uh, this, this year, of course, because of the plague... We're still having to stay virtual. That's one of our better shows, I think. It's worth going back and checking it out. If you haven't listened to every uh, stinking episode of our show, that's a good place to start. It's Generations. I don't know if you remember, Andrew, because it's been like a couple of years since we recorded that. But that's the movie where the old crew hands off to the new crew. Yes. some The last hurrah for some original series, regulars, Scotty. Chekhov, and of course, our beloved James Tiberius Kirk in his farewell sleigh ride to death in Generations. We hardly, we hardly knew ye. His big kiss off. You listen to this delightful episode on our beautiful website, TNGs, that's T-N-G-E-E-Z dot com, where you'll find uh, all of our episodes. They're all up there, right? Do you know that you could listen to us, Andrew, for over two days straight? Can you get wrap wow. your mind around that? That's unnerving. So if you were going, if you were going driving straight across country, you would you would hit maybe from California. You'd probably get to what Oklahoma before you had to listen to something else. Hey, do you know we forgot to do something very important, which is introducing who we are. I'm Commander Dave E. Dave, and I am Ambassador Andrew, opening up the gates of TNGs and inviting you all in as we discuss. Star Trek First Contact, the second Star Trek The Next Generation film, and the first film to focus exclusively on Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, listen up, listen up. The Borg are invading the Federation, and when their initial assault fails, they travel back to the past to sabotage Earth's first warp drive flight in hopes of preventing First Contact. Dun, 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 dun. That's right. First contact when humanity came face to face with beings from another world. The Enterprise. I'm not even going to look at you. The Enterprise crew pursues the Borg to thwart their thwarting and end up with a ship full of pesky cyborgs. While Riker, Jordy, and Troy work feverishly to make sure Zephyrin Cochran makes his story. God damn it, Andrew. <laughs> I hope you leave it in just like this. Sometimes don't, I don't do. edit this house. Don't I, edit this see, house. Like this after is, a while, it gets tedious. Old right here. While Riker, Jordy, and Troy work feverishly to make sure Zephyrin Cochran makes his historic warp flight, Picard, Data, Crusher, and Worf battle the Borg. You know what kills me, Andrew, is that I have actually done a lot of uh, speaking and acting classes, and I just cannot yes. get through this goddamn thing. Yeah, I, you know, and again, as if you've been listening to any of our previous episodes or if you're just listening to this one because it's a special, it, it, I do this on purpose to torment Dave. I, it is, it is, I'm a, there's something wrong with me. I didn't have a happy childhood or something. And it's this kind of thing that delights me. Thank you. I, well, what's good is that uh, is I think some people might be asking by now, this is 50 episodes deep and you haven't gotten better at this? <laughs> Dave, I've gotten better at, with my Picard voice, but for some reason reading these is getting worse. I think I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. The whole point to Star Trek is, is striving for a better future. So we're striving for a better Commander Davey Dave. One where Dave can read a complete paragraph. Let's talk about the opening of this movie, because I remember very fondly sitting in the theater thinking, you know, what the hell are we going to get here? And the opening of this movie is so remarkably different from the opening of Generations, which yep. I did not care for at all. It was a stupid CGI <laughs> champagne bottle floating right. in space. This is, gen- the Enterprise this is Generations. B. Yes. Generations. This is how this thing opens. And then Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off right. is captaining the ship. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. 
this is how we're going to start. This is this is our our big send off here. I don't know how many fans there are of that movie. I mean, it really did well at the box office. Actually, it 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 was a surprise at the time. It was such a big deal. I think people wanted to show up to see this handoff, and there was talk for years about what they would do when they did this, and and then there was talk maybe the year before. Does Kirk die in this? And I don't know if it leaked. And so you're wondering when you went to see this movie, is Kirk going to die? And I'm telling you, by the end of the movie, I was like, just die already. It's this. This, <laughs> I, this is a, enough with this. Enough. Enough. I got to tell you, the only thing I'm dying of is thirst. <laughs> One of the things we have talked about several times on the regular podcast. Yes. Is how the pacing of the show can be so blah just so turgid and here the pacing i mean we start with picard's nightmare right we're in the middle of picard's pupil and we pull out yes the scope of it is epic and it's dramatic it's filled with dread you see that drill bit going into picard's eyeball yes it's it's definitely setting a completely different pace a different tone and i know from reading some of the behind the scenes stuff they weren't happy with everything that happened in the previous movie. You can see why. I mean, it, it, it wasn't great. And this thing, it looks like a playbook in how to say, you know what? We realized that other movie wasn't great, but we're going to correct the crap out of it in this. We're going to do everything that that movie did backwards. And so it, it starts off like that, like with a surprise. And then the pace starts at this high pitch and it just continues throughout the film like that. This is my favorite kind of movie. If you're going to make action science fiction movies, I want to see something like this. I don't want it to have moments where you go like, why is this in the movie? Or like, why do we have to go off on this thing? I mean, this movie doesn't have any of that. It's it's all, it's all necessary and almost all of it works. I'm kind of struggling with it. You know, when I originally saw the movie, it had been a long time since I had seen Next Generation. It had not been on the air for a while. Right. And I was like totally into this movie. I was totally caught up into it. But now that we're two seasons into our rewatch, seeing this movie again seems a little jarring to me because it is so different from the show. And the tone is so different. And, and the attitude is so different that it's still a fascinating movie. It's a very enjoyable movie. I, I can't imagine show if this is the first thing someone sees from Next Generation and then they start watching the show. There's a huge gap there. It's got to be a little jarring. Absolutely. And they, they purposefully did this, though. They chose to do something that was going to try to draw in a bigger audience and not just Trek fans. They wanted to make a movie that was going to be exciting to everybody that likes to watch these types of movies. And I think I remember at the time reading reviews and hearing people that I hadn't seen Star Trek films or the show before watching this movie and saying it was good. And I and and the box office on this movie, it was the biggest a Trek film to that date. So it did, it performed super well and it kept the franchise floating into two other movies that shouldn't have been made. Probably (laughs) that weren't made very well, but which we'll get into uh, in season three and season four. But can we just say something about those movies? The the thing is, like, like, cause it's okay. Well, it'll be a long time until we talk about them. And I found myself being really disappointed watching this movie because I remember when I first saw it, 25 plus years ago, I was like, wow, they finally got it right. Like, this is the Star Trek I want to see in on this big screen, not on TV. Well, TV is a separate thing. But if they're going to make a movie out of, out of this, I want it to be big like this. And it was. And then instead of replicating that for another two films, they do. They throw all of that out and go and do these other films that are just it's just not it's just not right. They should every movie should have been Enterprise versus the Borg. I don't care if it gets old like that worked once. Figure out how to make it work the second time and the third time. You got to do it. Insurrection is the next movie after this. Right. And, um, and that I don't even know what the thinking was there. That is, that is just a, a terrible movie. Again, directed by Jonathan Frakes. This, right. This is directed by Commander William T. Riker. Himself, yes. Frakes. Yes. And, and the same kind of pacing, excitement, vision that you see here, you don't see there. And then the final movie, Nemesis, I think they tried. They did. But... I think they tried to make it big and explosive. Right. And it just was not good. It exploded like a big turd. You know, the thing about Jonathan Frakes being the director on this, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big deal. He directed a ton of next-gen episodes, and then he moved on to Deep Space Nine. So he was a, a big TV director. 
handing this over to Frakes was a big risk. And, and it's the kind of thinking that this show does sometimes, you know, where they really take these risks and they did it. The guy, he, he did some of the better episodes. He knew what he was doing, but, but directing for TV versus motion pictures is different. And they offered it around town to, you know, every big wig director and Frakes recounts that, you know, basically no director wants to come on and do the eighth film of a franchise. And, you right, know, right. there's no longer, no longer can you put your mark on this thing. Nobody would take it. And, and he's like, hey, you know, what about giving uh, Johnny F a, a shot? And they mm-hmm. did. And then it was a good move. Well, well, he's no Leonard Nimoy. Let's just say that his other his non Trek movie is Thunderbirds are Go. <laughs> I know. There's, I, there's no three men and a baby. From from Jonathan Frakes. Or A Cry in the Dark. So what happens, of course, is, you know, the Enterprise is tooling around. Picard has this nightmare, and it's sort of the precursor oh to the Oh, my God. That the Borg are invading the Federations. Ever since we first ran into them in, in Q-Who in this, this second season. Just a few episodes back. The Borg has just been sort of floating around on the periphery. Right. At the end of season three with the cliffhanger, best of both worlds, season three and four. They make their first big push into the Federation. And then the rest of the time, we just sort of, again, see them. They're defeated then, and we see them back on the edges again. Now, here they are. Here they come. Here come the Borg, baby. Finally. I mean, this is what, I mean, imagine if Captain Kirk was in this movie and Captain Kirk and Picard were somehow battling the Borg. Wouldn't that have been interesting? That would have been good fun. The thing that kind of kills me is what were the Borg doing in the meantime? So they send one cube Borg cube to Earth right. in, in Best of Both Worlds. It doesn't work. They lose. Are they just sitting back there going like, huh, I guess that didn't work. Should we just go ahead and give up? What do you think, Borg? I don't know, Borg. Borg? What do you think, Borg? Well, I mean, and that's the stuff you're kind of pushing up against before about this idea that is this really a Trek film or is this really part of the same universe that the series ran under? Because it did. you're right, it right. did solve this problem. And, and here it is again, mainly because these villains are so creepy and so scary well you know like why not this is but their they have more con. than one cube is my point they have more than one cube right so the one cube almost took down the federation by itself the second time they attacked they don't think to themselves you know it might be a good idea borg let's bring two fucking cubes <laughs> it just it, but listen listen maybe they were bringing a bigger cube maybe that one was bigger and we just couldn't <laughs> see it it still doesn't work and it's so it's it's Getting past that part, we do get a scene that I was I, I really love because in Best of Both Worlds, part one and two, the, the Borg do take on the ships of Starfleet, but we don't see that fight. We It's like we're watching yeah. a radio play, and we just hear reports True. of the ships falling. Now, this time, we actually get the ships in action. Lots of phaser fire, right. ships swooping around everywhere. And then there's that remarkably dramatic moment when the Enterprise comes swooping in. Oh, yes. So exciting. It is. So it's, exciting. It's the biggest Trek space battle that we've seen. And, and this, remember, is, is still a long time ago when effects were way harder to achieve on this kind of a budget. The budget's not huge, even though it had a bigger budget than Generations. And they're asking a lot. We don't get, I think, another big space battle on this scale until the end of Deep Space Nine. I know that ends up with like huge battles. Yes. Which were excellent. But this was really cool to see, and especially for somebody like me who's been kind of um, irritated all season by the lack of action. You know, here we get it. And, and, but the reason is that it's not bigger here and that it's not done on the show is that it's just too expensive. They can't, they right. just can't afford to do it on a TV show. They, those shows, when they ran, I don't know what Trek had, I think it was like a million dollar budget, and it has to come in on budget. One of the things that, Jonathan Frakes was good about was cutting corners because he'd done so much TV. So you have to cheat a lot when you're shooting for TV. They were counting the phaser blasts. <laughs> and it was important because when they're directing the actors and they're planning right. the scene, they have to make sure that uh, a red shirt in the back doesn't accidentally blow one off and, and you have to put a phaser blast in it. They said each right, blast right. was worth $10,000. There was a budget for the stupid blast. So you can imagine on something like this, like this epic space battle, which it, it does hold up still if you watch it. You know, when we watched it today, it's it's nice looking and you're finally seeing things really pan out. There are moments in that movie where they're fighting in the hallways and stuff. And, the, you know, one person takes a phaser, you know, they have phaser rifles, takes that shot. 
And I was thinking to myself, well, why don't three shoot at once? I mean, why don't you guys like mix this up a little bit? And the answer is, of course, because they don't have $30,000 for one Borg shot. If I had known that ahead of time, I would have been counting the blast in the movie to see how much they spent. But, you know, there there goes $20,000. I mean, because it was noted that they shoot a remarkably small amount of blast for all the action that was going on. And now, I mean, you can make a blast with some kind of an app on your phone camera now for, you know, nearly free. So it, it just things have changed a lot. Well, the one thing, too, I want to I want to note, and I'm sorry, it's, an, it's sort of an inside thing, is the Defiant shows up. And the Defiant is the starship that they added to Deep Space Nine when they decided it would be nice every now and again for the crew of Deep Space Nine to actually get off the space station and travel a little bit. And the Defiant's a great little ship. It, I it mean, is. Little. Little. Because Don't call it. it, <laughs> it has hated these, that. It has these phaser cannons. Right that shoot rapid, sort of rapid-fire, short phaser bursts. And you probably don't remember this, but when that ship first appeared on DS9, I was I talked to you, and you were so excited about that ship. You, you, you actually oh, really? you said to me, it's like, I'm just watching that ship, and it's like, pa-pa-pow, pa-pa-pow. You were, <laughs> you were so delighted. And I'm sorry we didn't get to see the pa-pa-pow in, in, in this particular uh, action scene. Well, I mean, I was an on and off again fan of Deep Space Nine. I I, never, I didn't stick with it in the beginning, and I kind of came back to it in the last few seasons when it, when what I when the story the war, yeah, yes. when that stuff got stronger. And I'm not opposed to watching it again. But the thing that the thing that really drove me nuts about that was the idea that you would have this space station where people came to it instead of a captain captaining a ship and flying around the galaxy, which is totally what the show is supposed to be about. And and I think if you listen to our season two, uh, we mentioned this a number of times that oftentimes the Enterprise is a place where people deposit themselves or get a taxi ride from or not a lot goes on. It's just a giant set that they've created and they have to try to stay on that set as much as possible. So it, it makes sense that they would make something like Deep Space Nine because that is exactly what that is. It's just a space station. Whatever the season is, it just started that that Worf makes this crossover to Deep Space Nine. So now he is on the Deep Space Nine space station and they realize that he also needs a ship. That the reason I was so excited is because that just opens it up. They're going to fly places now. They're going to there's going to be action and adventure, and this is what I want from a Star Trek show. It's funny you mentioned the Enterprise because it's it's to be honest, I've never said this out loud. I'm going to say it right now. My favorite character of all of Star Trek is the Enterprise. Oh my god! Well, it 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 plays a huge role in in this show. You can't argue that it's not the center of the show for so much. Absolutely. I have really mixed feelings about this Enterprise. It's no longer a galaxy class, by the way. Oh, really? They size it down? No, it's bigger. Oh, bigger. Okay, that makes sense. Why would they make it's it smaller? Bigger. It's sovereign class. Oh. It's not from galaxy class to sovereign class. And number I don't one. like this. I don't like this redesign. I just I got really bigger, don't. number one. <laughs> Look I'm at so me. excited. I've grown. Look at me, number one. Uh, when I crash a ship, they don't give me another galaxy-class ship. They give me a, a sovereign class. Can you believe this? Like this. So, is a, right, in Generations, is... for those of you who don't remember, Generations, uh, Riker ends up crashing the Enterprise right. D because of, of stuff that's going on in the plot. Right. So the Enterprise D is destroyed. So the Enterprise E is a new ship, and that's part of the excitement of this movie for Trek fans, right? Yeah, There's going to be yes. a new Enterprise for us to look at. Yes. Again, talking about the, the separation between this movie and the show, the Enterprise D, which we've talked about a lot on our, our podcast, especially the early episodes for season one, is a very sort of friendly ship. I don't know necessarily how to say it. I mean, it's got a lot of gentle curves. Right. Things are rounded off. Do you remember when the Ford Taurus came out? Right. And it sort of looked like a spaceship? The, the Enterprise D is kind of the, the Ford Taurus of spaceships. I was thinking about this the last time we were talking about this, and it's hard to remember how cool seeing that ship was when it first came out. I mean, that really sold me on the show. The opening sequence on that show Oh, sure. When sure. I watched that and then I would get to the episode and I kind of didn't like some of those episodes very much the first time through. I'm talking about these You're early ones. Season one. Season, season one. one of, uh... The ones that we've talked about on our show. And 
And some of them I was kind of grimacing through these episodes, but then I go back to, yeah, but that opening, I mean, they get you with that opening yeah. and that, that ship, it was so promising. Like what adventures in this giant ship are we going to be on? And, and, and you're right. It's, it's totally a product of the eighties, the style sensibilities of the 1980s. Yeah, it's very rounded. It's very smooth. There doesn't seem to be any hard corners. The interior too is filled with wood and carpeting. Honestly, it looked like the Brady Bunch den. But for the Enterprise E, they've clearly fired Mike Brady, right? There's no families on the Enterprise E. There's no families. Welcome to Carpeteria, everyone. (laughs) Do we know that there's no families on the ship? Did they specifically say there's no families now? No families are shown. And at no point in the movie are, are they concerned about families in the saucer section. Yeah. And in fact, the front of that ship is no longer a saucer section. Right. I mean, it doesn't look to me like it could separate. Yeah. Because it's so much the Enterprise E is pointy. And when you look at the Enterprise E, it doesn't have that sort of neck that goes from the saucer section to the warp section. Right. To the engine section. It's really sort of like, I don't want to say squat, but scrunch. Like it doesn't really have a neck. The front part with the bridge sort of flows right into the back part. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think that they're trying to go for more of a military look. They're trying to go yes. for more of a battle look. I mean, I welcome that. The, at, once they separated that saucer and and Riker crashed it into that planet, maybe back at uh, Starfleet, they're like, you know what? Maybe we don't let the second in command have control of the saucer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep this whole goddamn thing together. And and honestly, we've seen a couple of these galaxy class vessels explode in our rewatch of one and two, and maybe they just weren't that great of a spaceship after all. You know, I, I mean, oh come on, now. that's a beautiful <laughs> ship, and it lasts seven seasons. And, I love, and I love it. One movie, it's a gorgeous ship. I love but it. It's- too, and I don't mind this new one either. And the thing is, you don't get to see it very much because it's not going to exist anymore. It's almost, you know, two more movies with it and that's it, right? You know there's no puppies on the Enterprise-E. Are you sure? I was wondering. I guarantee you there's no puppies on that because you never see any Borg puppies. There's no children. You never see any Borg children. There's no Borg babies in drawers. There's no Harry carving his dolphin. It does, that would be great if, if Harry was a Borg. If little Harry from season one ended up being a Borg and was carving a, a dolphin Look, Dad. as a Borg drone. <laughs> Resistance is futile. Here is a dolphin. <laughs> Look, Dad, I have assimilated a fish. <laughs> yeah, this is Borg attachment is like a, a, a fish carver. <laughs> Poor Harry. What episode was that? Haven? Was it Haven? It was the one where the kids were kidnapped. When the bow breaks. Of course. The kids are kidnapped, and then they go down to this craft planet where they do things like carving dolphins. It's craft and... planet. <laughs> it's like the Michaels of outer space. Pass me a glue stick. But, yeah, you're right that this is a military-looking ship. I don't think the Great Bird would have been that happy. No. Because this is no longer an exploration vessel. It doesn't look like they're exploring much of anything. And in fact, when Starfleet discovers that the Borg are invading, they deliberately exclude the Enterprise. Picard had been taken over by the Borg. He becomes Locutus of Borg in Best of Both Worlds at the end of Season 3, beginning of Season 4 of the show. So Starfleet's argument is like, oh, that means he's compromised. Yeah. He wouldn't be effective against the Borg. What they do to reassign them is have him patrolling the neutral zone. And they're cranky about it. I mean, they're they're actually like, oh, there's a bunch of comets and stuff. <laughs> We'd rather be fighting. Right. I'm way beyond looking at orbits, number one. I want but, s- oh my God, some I, action. I would have been elated if, if, if I were on deck 13 or 14 or 15, and it was like, this is the captain speaking. We're not going to fight the Borg. We're going to, to patrol the neutral zone instead. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I get to live. Yeah. After they assimilate Earth, I'm still alive. Woohoo! Are you going to make a robot out of me? Give me to a replicator in a holodeck. <laughs> Woohoo! I don't know. I like it, though. It makes sense to me. Sometimes on our TV show version of this, they don't work out the plot. And, and I think here's an example of really tying up all the loose ends because in a movie they just scour the script they go over and over this thing and and this is a really well written movie so every loose end is tied up and here you have a good reason for putting the enterprise out of the action 
because of this potential threat from Picard, it's great because then it is an excuse for why they weren't there right at the beginning when the Borg was attacking. And they can come in and kind of, I mean, it gives you the sense that this is why they're still functional and they can go after the Borg and pursue it instead of them just happening to be the very best ship in the whole fleet. Uh, Great Berg, look, what do you think of what they've done with your Enterprise? I gotta say, I'm not pleased. I, I don't like all this fighting. First of all, it's not my vision. Second of all, I'm not made of money. Cool, cool. Peace is a lot cheaper, let me tell you that. Cool. You're right. What do you? What kind of car was that, by the way? It was a little, a little mini car. He was, uh, you know, he's tired. He's an older man. At this point, he's he's much older. Behind the scenes, Andrew's having like to um, parse out his cause like they're those laser beams. I mean, I just am sort of curious because there's a lot of conversation, and it's it's understandable. Gene Roddenberry has passed away at this point, and they're taking his work and they're building on it. So there are plenty of folks, just like with everything else, where you continue the legacy of someone else's work. You have plenty of purists who say, you know, this is not what so-and-so would have wanted. This is not what the founders of the country, what the framers of the Constitution had in mind. Right. Times change. Uh, sensibilities change. You know, Roddenberry made changes from the original Trek to Next Generation. Yeah, definitely. And we've been talking about those changes. And and I think there was some behind the scenes stuff happening also where there was a lot of conflict about this vision that, that he had for the future. And I think it seemed like sometimes it was hard for Roddenberry to separate out the philosophy of the show and this kind of overwhelming idea for a future world based on peace and cooperation. The thing is, everybody that loves Trek like we do, is inspired by this idea that he had this positive future. It's just that it's it seemed like he was really wrangling with it in his first two seasons or his really his only two seasons of, of the show. Part of the, what's interesting is the struggle to get to a sort of a utopia. Once you've gotten to the utopia, then it gets dull, right? Well, I mean, the <laughs> at least for us on our end. That's the it's thing. like the struggle is is where the drama is. It's not once you're there. People make a lot of movies and write a lot of books about journeys, right? Going from point A to point B. Not a lot of books or, or movies being made out of just being there. Right. Just like showing up. It's like, well, that was a very exciting adventure driving out here. Too bad you won't get to see it. <laughs> now for the next two hours, watch us unpack. Right. I mean, that's not. Yes, gonna... exactly. And I think that in the early season one, we saw a couple of recreational examples of what the future crew does, like Riker. Right. right. You know, instead of going back to his cabin and watching, you know, TJ Hooker 2024, he's watching these little miniature women dance around on. Uh, around they're like the they're like hollow projections of these women. And they're it, it couldn't be more boring. I mean, you see this and it's like. And so then you wonder, like, is there no need to see a, a drama play out in the future because people have evolved beyond that? Even the idea of drama itself it has an inherent violence to it. And does that mean in the future we don't even have television shows or movies anymore? We just well, have. No, I mean, because we also see Picard loves his Dixon Hill. We also see right. that when Riker summons up a perfect holodeck moment, he goes back to the past, to New Orleans. They're bored with the future as well. I don't think it's for us to adjust our sensibilities around a pretend future. I really believe that it's the show needing to, to figure this out. And I get the idea that some people think this movie took it too far away from Trek. I can see it. But I honestly, anything for a great Trek movie, and I think it's worth the compromises this movie makes to appeal to a broader audience, and also me. There's three plots going on here. And this movie really, in my head, I've always thought of this movie as the Jean-Luc and Data show, co-starring Jonathan Frakes as Commander Riker, right? Because there's right. three plot lines, and the two most engaging are Aboard the Enterprise, featuring Picard, featuring Data. And then you have that third plot, which was supposedly the point of the movie, because that's the, the title, where Jonathan Frakes is trying to make sure first contact is established. But this is clearly a Picard movie, 
right? Aren't all the next-gen movies Picard movies? It, totally, but I think this movie actually does the best job of giving a lot of time to everybody, you know, especially after you saw Generations where it was certainly Picard-focused again and Data with not a lot to do for a lot of the rest of the cast. This one, I felt like we got some good scenes for everybody in this movie, and they were they were good about that in a way that they aren't in some of the other films. And of course, it's always Picard-centric, and the show is Picard-centric so much, too. You know, what's funny, though, is that in the first draft of the script, like the one that they gave to the actors is to right. you know try to sell them on it, Picard was the one that was down on the planet. Picard right. was doing all the things that Riker was doing, and Patrick Stewart read the script, and he's like, why, why aren't I up on the Enterprise dealing with the Borg? That's my story. Which makes more sense because that connection with the Borg is a complete 180 degree change from what we were seeing at the beginning of the show in season one and even some parts of season two, where Riker is supposed to be the dynamic action lead and Picard's supposed to be Pappy Picard right. up in the, in the Enterprise. And he only beams down when someone needs a scolding. <laughs> right. If you need someone to get like a long leg cracked across their face. You want to get Jonathan Frakes down there, or you want to get Riker down there. <laughs> right. It's only later when he needs to say, like, Amos, now you you behave now, Amos. Hey, not this guy. I don't know. I don't mind the trade-off. You know, that, that Pappy Picard is the one that you send down to scold people. Right, or to get hot and bothered about ancient alien architecture, I think. Yeah, yeah, he gets his uh, dander up for that. Not his dander up, but yes, he gets excited. He gets his, <laughs> his dander. He doesn't have any yeah, dander. He gets hard. Jonathan Frakes looks like he's having a blast in this movie. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. The guy's getting to direct this major motion picture. He's watching how it's turning out as it's going on, and the thing is probably looking great. He's also outside and not having to be dragged through goo or, right. or you know, wrestling with uh, Borg or anything <laughs> like that. Right. Putting on that, that funky space suit costume. He just gets to, like, be in a coat and some pants and walking yeah. around outside. I, I don't see what the problem is here for him. Nobody's applying, like, a face appliance to him or making him wear a weird barrette over his eyes. Yeah, so he's he's yeah. in good shape here. Sure. From the first shot forward, I mean, Picard's relationship with the Borg drives the action. And it's his desire for revenge, because this is the other thing, too. We got a different look in Enterprise. We got a different look in Picard here, too. Sure, the whole thing. Yeah. He is an angry dude. But it, again, it makes sense, though. They make sense of it. I mean, he's angry only because of what the Borg did to him. I mean, the Borg uh, assimilate him in the past. They assimilate him eventually for our show. And this has uh, left a deep scar in him. And he doesn't totally trust himself on some level. And, and this is something they carry on later in the Picard show 25 years after this thing. But what's interesting to me about this is we've talked several times about how, you know, how Picard goes, so goes the crew. If he's not settled, they're not settled. Right. So in this case here, he is like driven by this desire for revenge and his whole posture is aggressive. His whole posture is angry. Right. And the whole movie, at least aboard the Enterprise, is hostile and angry and filled with fighting and some pretty graphic body horror here and there, too. Right. Right. From the very beginning, like, they defy that Starfleet order to join the fight. They're the only ship that follows the Borg to the past. The thing that gets me is there's no meeting about it. Like, on the oh, show. Thank God. Come on. If you watch Q Who in, in season two and they first meet the Borg, they have meetings right. about it. There's all this stuff going on, and they're like, well, let's sit down and talk about it while we're floating outside this giant Borg cube. Yeah. And here he's just like, pursuit course. Lay it in. Go, 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 go. Do it. We only have 90 minutes. But it's like, Captain, I, I prepared a, a PowerPoint. I have handouts, Captain. I'd really like to discuss this. Where's Wesley with his projector? We're, we're done with all of that. But I think Captain, that... Captain, I got the whiteboard markers. All the colors you like. It's my favorite. Thank you, Wesley. You know, it's pretty clear that there's things about the show that are antiquated, and that's one of them. And they had to have known that by the time they're making this movie. I mean, it's a couple of years after the series has ended. We're kind of got away from that. And, and now it's like, hey, what would really happen if you made a movie about the Borg? You don't meet about it. You just got to keep this thing going. There was no time for a boardroom meeting in this movie. Thank God. I know, but that's that's the thing. I mean, it's again, I it's get a complete it. opposite from what we've seen before. And decisions are made, and they're made by angry Picard. 
Right. And, you know, he's just telling him this is how it's going to be. This Picard leadership style. Okay. Right. The way he just like takes input and All then right. makes, makes a decision. Angry Picard is not taking input, you know, much to his detriment. But that is an interesting arc. Some of the choices he makes in this movie based on that anger lead them to the right result. Oh, sure. But other times, like later, as he gets more and more obsessed with these Borg, and Lily comes into this, he has to kind of pull back from this angry person who we don't ever see on the show like this. And I, I still think you can chalk it successfully up to the fact that it's the Borg. It makes sense to me yeah. that he would act like this. I understand why it doesn't jive with the rest of the series, but at the same time, look at what they did when they, the next movie, they tried to make it more like an episode of the TV series, and it's just like, right. oh, God, please. It's so boring. It hurts me to hear to see this. You make this thing, and I understand you have to throw out some stuff. This is what happens on these new shows, too, where some diehard Trek fans are unhappy with Discovery because it right. throws out some of the Star Trek rules. And then other fans are happy that Strange New Worlds is going to be more like the original series, supposedly, and episodic and try to you know honor what Trek used to be. And it's like, come on. I, I don't know if it's just a good sh thing. I'm willing to go with it a little bit. I, I just wish they continued this good thing into the next two movies and then maybe more if they had made better movies. But it does lead to some cool stuff. I mean, that that sure. scene with the deflector dish where they walk outside the ship. Yeah, is a, it's a little absurd. I mean, the premises are a little absurd because the manual locking on that deflector dish. This is the one scene in that movie, this movie that I really groan about. And that, that this idea that they have to, like, have a manual release of that deflector dish. When the hell would you ever use that? It's like, when would anyone be floating out in space, like, three people be floating out in space to right. disconnect that deflector dish? It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Come on, Mr. Wolf, let's go outside. And he's like, again? <laughs> you always send me out there. But it's like, oh, you know, we have to stop at Starbase 73 right. for uh, maintenance. The the three deflector dish guys are going out to to manually disconnect the deflector dish. Wait, so wait, let me ask you this. That deflector dish was there? That was part of the Enterprise? That wasn't a thing that yes. the Borg put onto the ship? No. Oh, you know, no, I, the I... deflector dish is a central part of the Enterprise. I, I, was, I, mean, I know that, I know that, but I always thought... But weren't the Borg putting something on top of it? Isn't that what they yes, were doing? Yes, they were putting an interplexing beacon. Okay, but then they they released the whole disc. Is that what they did? Yes, they released I, the central okay. disc, and it's got All that right. big tube connecting to it. Okay, but that yeah, I get it. I mean, I I don't know. I like that sequence. It it it, it feels more like the modern Star Trek films they've made. Yes. Uh huh. Getting outside of the ship is something we've never seen. I, I mean, on the ship. I know they do it in right, the motion right. picture getting outside and actually walking on the surface of the right. ship, I think is really interesting because you so often have this model, which is the ship and it's this pretend thing. And we're supposed to pretend, believe that they're inside of it when they're really on these sound stages. And I think a lot of times on the TV show, the show kind of gets lost in that part of it, that they're in a real thing. And so I think right. finally seeing them climb out and being, you know, standing outside of it. I don't know. I like that part. I, I, and can I, can I, I'm sorry. Can I, I need to have one more geeky complaint moment. Okay. And that's their little magnetic boots. That their little magnetic boots are activated by a button on their thigh. You know, they walk through doors. Doors automatically open. They talk to the computer. Their food. It's all voice command. But they have to push the little button on their thigh for the boots. They can't just say, boots magnetize. Or boots activate. <laughs> or come on, boots. You're made for walking. Hello, Boots. Engage. No, but let's put this awkward button with no indic. You know, it's not even like there's... It's color-coded. What the fuck? I mean, <laughs> put, you know, shouldn't you have, like, a big separate button that says magnetize? It's just... Because a, I don't know. if the thing doesn't work, you're floating off into space. You're, you're screwed, buddy. Mr. Wolf, did you check your magnets this time? I don't want to have to track to beam your ass back again. Looks okay to me. I also think it's a good idea to bring a really sharp blade into my airtight suit. I think that's great. Oh, he's a Klingon, man. He's got to do stuff like that. He's got to. The wharf scenes really make me happy. He's got some good lines in there. It's kind of sad, especially in the third movie, Insurrection, that Worf just becomes a joke character. But yeah. here he's got some really great lines when they say, you know, it's a tough little ship. He's like, little. 
about as defiant. And then, of course, you know, the big face-off scene. And again, another 180, right? It's Worf that has to tell Picard, look, you need to let this shit go, and we need to get off this ship. Right. You know, Picard calls him a coward, which is... Mm. We, we just talked about how Pulaski makes a suggestion that Worf might be taking a cowardly position. Right. And Picard's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, hold on, lady. Rain it in there, Red. Oh, hold on, Rosalind. Don't say that. <laughs> That's knocking futs. He gets right up in his face and he's like, you know. Right. You're a coward. Look at me in the eyes when you say that. Another thing about this movie is that it's really one of the most, we're going to imitate these characters as much as possible. This is where the imitations really get out of control because uh, Worf's got that great line, right. were you any other man, I would kill you where you stand. And I fucking love that line, man. I mean, that just every time I see him deliver that line, it just gets me. We've said that in at least 10 of our 50 hours worth of shows, I think. <laughs> If this were any other podcast, I'd kill you where you stand. That would have been a great commercial for the, like the concession stand. You know how they have those commercials at the beginning of, if you were any other snack, I would eat you where you fell. <laughs> so okay. we, we also haven't mentioned Alfred Woodard yet. Please Alfred do. Woodard, uh, uh, yes. Plays Lily. What I found on this rewatch is that this relationship is a bit dated. You've got these people who are supposedly working together on this rocket, and Lily is actually doing quite a lot of the engineering, and right. she doesn't get the creds from the James Cromwell character. And Lily's doing a big chunk of the work, and it's not like the Lily discovery no i agree right it's a real hidden figures moment right yeah still in the future no it really is yeah yeah and she doesn't really own any of that and then there's no you know there's a statue uh riker riker scenes are all with cochran and the same with jordy and they're down there and jordy yeah and 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 troy too right Yes. And they're down on Earth and they're talking about there's a good, you know, it's a fun scene where Jordy talks about how in the future there's going to be a statue to Cochran right on the spot. And there's no Lily statue next to him. And I, I just right. I mean, that's certainly something that she would have been co-creator of the warp drive. And it doesn't have to be this dude anymore. And I and I would kind of thought we moved away from that as we got into well, not not in the late 90s we didn't not 1996 we didn't no so it's still there and then you know alfrey woodard is so nobody could have played that character better than alfrey woodard she is so good and i i you know and i love alfrey woodard and other things i never thought like oh wow this is the, the best alfrey woodard performance but but going back and seeing it again, I, really, you need somebody with that kind of gravitas to play against somebody like a Patrick Stewart. Right. So in the last movie, they got Malcolm McDowell. Right. Who is certainly someone who also has the the chops to go up against Stewart. Here, you, you bring in Alfred Woodard. And I absolutely agree. If you don't have an actor of stature up against him, it, he's just going to roll right over them. And she has to play these pretty hard scenes with him where she's calling him out, and she's got to... I right. mean, she kind of plays a character that's contrary to the role that she's given in the fictional future Earth that she's got there, but she's really trying to demand that he think about what he's doing, be accountable for his actions. Right. I mean, the the whole... The, the famous this far, no farther scene where... You know, they're they're saying the crew is saying, listen, we really should get out of here. We've lost the Borg have won. And that's where Worf says, right. you know, we need to get out of here. And Picard calls him a coward. Right. They're going to evacuate the ship and go to Earth and like basically colonize Earth. But Picard says no. No. Right. So he goes into his ready room or to the observation lounge, actually. To work on uh, modifying a phaser rifle. Right. And Alfred Woodard goes after him when Crusher, who is criminally wasted in this movie. I know. Beverly Crusher says, you know, we agree. We just, when the captain makes a decision, that's it. And she's like, fuck that noise. You're right. Please let me amend that earlier statement. Not everybody gets all the time they're due. Crusher is totally wasted and not useful when she could have been doing like really active things in this one. We've seen her do active crap. She's shot. Uh, uh, Data's brother, didn't she? Or no, no, she got shot by Data's brother. <laughs> yeah, she was shot by Data's brother, but she shot Admiral Quinn. I mean, she's perfectly capable of doing things. You know, I understand why you have Alfred Woodard in there, and I understand why you have her playing that role, but Crusher could have delivered some of those lines, too. Yes. Crusher is the one that could have held the line here. I mean, it's not like Gates McFadden's a bad actor. It's just that she's cast as a certain type of character, and an Alfred Woodard is like 
she's a person that... Well, she's not intimidated by Picard. Right, that's the idea. We talked about that with Pulaski before, that one of the things we did like about her, one of the few things we did like about her, was Picard didn't dominate her the way he does the rest of the crew. And right. Alfre Woodard's character is just like, no, I don't care. You know, you're you're the captain of some goofy Starfleet. I don't know anything about that. I'm going to tell you right now, you need to knock this crap off. It doesn't make any sense. Right. They have that beautiful scene, the two of them together, where they're arguing. It's and, a gr- and yes. she calls him Ahab, and he quotes Moby Dick, and it's just so nicely done. It's a great scene, and that's the scene where he destroys all the models. I mean, they even had it in the original series, that room with the models of the ships in there. And he smashes the models. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. He's saying, "I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give up my ship to the Borg. I'm not going to acquiesce anymore. I'm going to fight." And then, then he breaks a bunch of shit. That moment is kind of the redemption. That's that's kind of where his anger starts to subside, right. and he starts to become Picard again, or at least the Picard we knew in the show. Because then he's also. He, <laughs> he also decides he's going to sacrifice himself to save data right you know he kind of loses his monomania right. and starts looking around a little bit and he's like oh this is really fucked up i gotta oh, do something about this hold on where's that robot i had around for the last nine years <laughs> i got a picard up a storm here now i got a triple picard to make up with anybody see him so speaking of data yes oh my god that's our other big plot data and the borg queen right we actually finally get to see data in action we've been begging for this come on we see him snapping necks we see him chucking borg around i know i love it he could have kicked the shit out of that malcolm mcdowell on the last movie but they didn't give him the opportunity to do it i mean talk about not even needing two captains to work together they could have just sent data after that guy yeah send the robot down there to do it right and we've been wanting this for so long and we finally get to see it and i was so aggravated when they dragged data so the borg captured data and drag him into right. the engine room of the enterprise yeah. with which they've sort of taken over and right. I was like, come on, man. I want to see more data beating people up. I know. He's captured. He's strapped down. And again, it's a budget thing, of course, because they could have had him on the run. It gets into this weird sexual stuff with the Borg Queen. And that's one of the other big shifts that this movie made that the show wasn't willing to deal with, which was the Borg are basically zombies, right? Right. You don't have a face on the villain. You don't have a Darth Vader. You don't have somebody that you can really play against as the old ultimate baddie so then they invent this borg queen alice krieg she sort of sexualizes the borg somehow you know is attracted to data or i don't know i mean all that stuff's really well in the, in, in a, a series next generation that has had so many issues with sex and romance right this this makes perfect sense to me i mean to i them, guess sex is yeah creepy and you start to wonder about the people who are running this show because <laughs> this is the creepiest thing you've ever seen, this Borg Queen. You know, yeah. I mean, the only part of her that's actually physical is her head and her neck and, and part of her chest. Right. The rest of it is all robot. Yeah, that's supposedly organic, and then she's dropped into the suit. I guess the whole—are you saying the whole suit is mechanical then? Like outside that's of that what, area? That's the, the implication I got from it because we don't see any other— Yeah, I never really thought about it like that. I thought maybe she was— you know, like modified. That makes sense. So they pull her out of. Sh- she, there's a shot where they drop that weird torso and her and her mm-hmm. spinal column down. They give her little suit secondary sexual characteristics, like she has breasts and stuff. And you're like, what is happening here? The Borg are <laughs> about as asexual as possible. They sexualize the Borg queen. It's very like Hellraiser if you've ever seen that. It's oh, it's sure. a weird choice, and I don't mind. I rather they chose to do weird things like this. And I know that it's problematic because of other stuff that's happened in the past 178 episodes, but I I like the idea that she ends up grafting on human flesh, God knows which poor crew member she took that off of, but onto, (laughs) that's not mentioned, but oh, interesting. I wonder what happened to, uh, you can see Data going. Captain, thank you for saving me from the Borg, but do you know what happened to this patch of a skin here on my arm? I, I, I don't, I don't it, it seems to be missing here. That's a pretty nasty wound you've got there, Mr. O'Brien. <laughs> kind of heights when I sit down, Captain. Can you take a look back there? That's a pretty... I'm losing... I lost some cheek meat, Captain. 
Serious grafting number one. They took it off of <laughs> Brian's ass. So, but but the, the, I know this is also where there's yeah. a lot of. First of all, I love that they call it the flesh. They keep saying flesh, flesh, because yeah. that just makes it even creepier. But the the this is where we get into some weird body horror. And the the thing with the board right. is they absolutely suggest body horror. They're they're you know yeah, cobbled beginning. together like that. But the show, for obvious reasons, can't do much with that. Whereas this movie right. actually can. That scene where the Borg Queen's top part comes down to her uh, synthetic body and those little hooks kind of grab into her skin. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah, it is pretty gross. And and they do show you that you, for the first time you see the Borg kind of do their little vampire sting to put the Borg disease in you. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's very body horror, and it's it, it goes back to the tone and aesthetics of this movie versus the show. It's really creepy. There's some real horror elements here. Yeah, I think it makes sense for this to do that, but I understand. In the original drafts, they tried to write it like they were the board from the series with just, like, the collective and this idea that there would be a computer possibly talking, mm-hmm. you know, like some kind of howl communicating and they just it wasn't enough i wonder though if they made this movie today if they would have treated it differently with zombies being such a thing now there's so many zombie movies and tv shows and it's become part of the popular culture in a way that it just wasn't in something like trek there's been a lot of thinking a lot of writing about this idea of a horde i do want to mention an incredibly missed opportunity here they could have had a different robot be the face of this whole thing they just could have gotten tweaky <laughs> what if they put the borg queen's head on tweaky's body or what if the borg queen was actually dr theopolis bida, bida, bida. right bida, that would have been resistance is futile i will assimilate your ass now you will be assimilated to service us bigger 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 buck Thank you so much for bringing Twiggy all the way in. I think we talked about him in episode one some for some reason. Bigger, bigger, bigger. You're welcome, Buck. Twiggy is the robot from the uh, 1980s 80s Buck, Buck Rogers, Rogers version of Buck, Buck Rogers. with Starring Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray with the late Felix Silla as the body of Twiggy and Mel Blanc as the voice. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Bing, 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 bing. So the the Borg Queen is really creepy. Yeah. And I understand I, I, I get it. Yeah, it's hard to write an enemy who's a collective and there there's no contact point. She also does that weird blinking thing. Like when she sets up a force field by oh, blinking. Right. Yeah, she, I like that. Like, freeze data by blinking, Wink. which always seemed kind of... Right. And I get it because you want an action to indicate that she's controlling things. You want to do that, but I just kept thinking of I Dream of Genie. <laughs> she's got her Google glasses on. Yeah. It's like, Master, Master, I'm going to graph flesh to you, Master. Bazoink. So Barbara Eden on I Dream of Genie, it was funny. They would do this this head movement where she would like give you a big fast nod and it was perfect to cut against because she was moving so fast that they could edit her in mid motion and then when she put her head down then all of a sudden whatever magical thing she wanted to happen would just pop into frame which meant they stopped everything made her sit really still for you know however many minutes she had to sit there not move the camera and then whatever like thing was to appear was you know put in front of her but it had that weird sound effect it was it was samantha on bewitched did the same thing she had a little what was her move was it her nose the nose her nose she could she could wiggle her nose which wasn't a special effect but she could wiggle her nose like yeah back and forth and i can't do that have you have you ever tried doing no i can't do that i'm not a witch dave that's not true so this whole thing is sort of the last temptation of data you unlock the computer for us and join us and we will give you like human flesh and real sensuality it's really kind of gross because they start grafting other parts of flesh onto Data, specifically his face. Yeah, they, and like it half just the does face. not. It, it's really creepy. Looking. It is. It's gross. And when the movie ends, he's still got that like half face. Or well, he gets his. Well, then the flesh gets burnt off, right? Right. But at the end of the movie, he's got this burnt, like kind of half exposed understructure to his head, and that's creepy too. I mean, it's like it's not our data. I, I hated to see him go out like that because Picard comes to save him. Picard thinks he's saving data, right? But it's all part of like a plan that I assume just data came up with, <laughs> right? I don't know what data's doing. I don't know why data's biding his time so long. Yeah, you know why he just doesn't? Because the idea is they're going to shatter 
some cooling fluid, which will eat up flesh and right. destroy the Borg, destroy the humanoid parts of the Borg. Yeah, that are in kind of the section of the engine room. And I, I think, though, that the idea was he was waiting for Picard to come and, and assist him. Why? Because it's his captain. This is what, but why doesn't he just kill all the Borg and then just like sort of saunter out and go, "Hey, Johnny, took care of the problem for you, bud." <laughs> it's not dramatically interesting. I understand that, but it does seem weird that he takes so long to do it. I know, but he's got to be tortured. He's got to go. I mean, when you see the result, like he isn't swayed by the Borg Queen at all. But you're supposed to believe in those scenes that okay, maybe he's thinking about it because he is certainly responds when she grasps this piece of human skin onto him and then blows on it and causes like goosebumps and he, he's responsive to that he's like oh my god have you ever felt go- <laughs> have you ever felt goosebumps before hey this is novel i used to not be able to whistle but i never even thought about goosebumps and the two things that stand out for me in the, those final scenes too where picard is there and you know data's taking care of business is one brent spiner for whatever reason says resistance is futile so all this time they've been saying resistance is futile. And he decides he's just going to say resistance is futile. I don't know why that, that just... That he's not a laugh. Brit. He doesn't have that accent, I man. know, but he, he could have just said, you know, resistance is futile. He could have done it, but he doesn't, <laughs> and it, it always kind of made me laugh. That's but funny. the other one is you see Picard kind of, like, you know, climbing up the ceiling to right. avoid the, the deadly coolant. And you could tell someone's been hitting the gym. Yeah, they. Someone's they, been working out those uh, those pythons. Yeah, he was hoping, I think, for an action career at that point, and he's still not too old. It's funny because the next big franchise, they put him in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for the X Men. Right. Yeah, that's great. But you could tell he's got some guns. I mean, he's he's yes. taking up herpetology by taking care I, of those pythons. I I found it pretty nice here in Hollywood all these years. The third plot line is the Riker plot line. Right. And, and the whole plot line revolves around Zephyrin Cockrum. Doesn't feel like he's due any kind of worship. The crew, of course, is absolutely enamored to be able to meet him. The Enterprise crew, yeah. This is like the most famous person in history. And and he showed up in the original series. The character showed up in the original series in a yeah. completely different circumstance. How does he in come... In an episode called Metamorphosis. I don't... I. How does he get into the future then it's 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 a it's a very complex star trek explanation how he ends up in the future and he ends up younger and he's not six foot seven the way james cromwell (laughs) is james cromwell is uh according to the internet is the tallest actor to be nominated for an oscar oh he's that tall six foot seven he's six foot seven and those there's all those great scenes where riker is actually looking up to him i know after all these scenes where Rikers had to bend over to talk to people right. in the show, you know, yeah. or sit or crouch or whatever. Right. Here he's like looking up at him. Let's, like, yeah, let's just say this. I'm, I'm, I mean, Riker is not swinging his leg over any of Cochran's chairs. That's for sure. <laughs> and James Cromwell, again, is well cast. I mean, he is. He's, he's, absolutely, he's absolutely wonderful. He's curmudgeonly and he's a drunk. And James Cromwell has said that that character is one of the closest characters to how he is in real life. That he was particularly proud of that, <laughs> which well, he, it paints a he, funny picture of him because he's not that likable in the movie. He just came off from an Academy Award nomination for his role in Babe, the right. talking pig. He's got a little pig. And now he's in this. I mean, the guy doesn't have a sense of humor. I, I don't know what to do for him. The, he was just getting going at that point. I mean, he was like, this is one of these actors that was around a long time, but he really started to get, I mean, he's still with us too, but he started oh, getting yeah, sure. famous as he was getting older, kind of like a Picard. This particular plot with Riker also has the, the Troy scene where Troy and Cochran are getting drunk together. Yeah. That's pretty fun. I like that. And they give her something to do that's fun. And it makes you wonder not only why the Borg never had a, a face in the series, but why they didn't figure out some way of better utilizing this character's skill set in these situations that she does actually use her abilities when she's navigating these scenes with Cochrane and Riker. What's interesting to me is if the ship no longer has families on it, right and now it's, it's more poised for a kind of aggressive mission. I don't understand why you would have a touchy feely counselor on there. I mean, Picard needs his counselor. I mean, in Generations, one of the best scenes in Generations actually is between Troy and Picard, where he's actually breaking down. I mean, he needs an emotional because of the loss of his nephew Renee, who was 
So very gentle. Poor Renee. So very gentle, Dave. I just... Dave! Remember... He was so very gentle. Gideana, remember the last seven years of the series where they wouldn't kill anyone? And now they're killing my goddamn nephew. It's not fair. My, my gentle nephew. <laughs> Troy should be like, have you seen these puppies, Captain? They're very gentle, too. <laughs> yes, I like the puppies, Diana. It reminds me of when you They're had very that. very gentle. I'm calling this puppy Renee. Remember, it reminds me of when you had that child in your womb that we forgot about. <laughs> Ian. Oh, poor Ian. Remember Ian? Oh, and then she breaks down. I would down think too, about Ian more often. If he just carved a dolphin, <laughs> he would have stood out to me a little more. I think. Oh, it... if he would have worn those those pants with the little dot in the back, I would have thought more of him. Like young Crusher, I would have remembered him more if he lived for more than three days too. <laughs> that was part of the problem. Remember, if he had made it out of the fourth act, I would have thought more of him. Remember when he killed himself for the benefit of the whole ship? We mentioned that poor Gates McFadden really has nothing to do here. Yeah, she, you, she of all doesn't. people, LeVar Burton has very little to do. But LeVar got a break. He, first of all, got those eyes, and he was asking for them to change the eye situation for a long time, and they finally did it. He was asking on the show for them to reinvent his yeah. eyes and let mm-hmm. him see so you could see his eyes. And watching the, our rewatch, it is one of the more distracting things to see this guy with this clip over his face and he's trying to act and he's a good actor and and he doesn't get to use his eyes for it so now he has eyes and big deal he gets to talk to zephyrin cochran about a statue he gets to look at some metal and he gets to go along on the ride yeah and of course the, the 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 big part of this the most important part is that the borg are trying to prevent first contact because that's basically the beginning of the federation the beginning right. of starfleet it actually happens. Uh, Cochran is able to drive his warp ship because Riker and Troy and Jordy and the rest of the Enterprise crew that aren't fighting Borg are able to help. And they meet they meet some Vulcans and that's the end of it. It's, it's kind of silly. The ending. I know I know people love this part of the movie. I don't I, I'm not I don't really care for this kind of stuff. What, the, 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 the nice sort of lighthearted sentimental moment you didn't care for? The, you know, the thing is, I know we're, I'm on a podcast that's talking about Star Trek, and there's a lot of silliness to that. Yeah, I, it was lighthearted, and I understand that's a little reprieve from the rest of the movie, which is pretty dark. But, you know, when the Vulcan guy comes down, I don't know, it's just kind of goofy. It, 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 it's cute. I would have liked, liked it better if they, if they would have been turned into cyborgs, if someone had... No, their limbs I'm not saying that. That would have been much better. I don't know. What happens is that's, a, that's my imitation of Dave for some reason. Two songs like the, Thank you. Co- Cochran hits light speed and flies really fast. And then that somehow alerts the Federation or whatever they're called at this point. That, the Vulcans. They're, they're not called anything. Okay, it's, the, it's, the Vulcans are just like hanging out. But it's called, doing anything. it's called first contact. So the Vulcans, right. I mean, that implies that there's a first contact like the way the Federation runs first contact. Right. So... Right. They're waiting for them to be, you know, civilized enough to be reached out to. And they see the warp drive and then they come to Earth and then they have that greeting with, you know, the hand gesture that the Vulcans do. Think of it more like the Vulcans are out by Pluto going, I don't understand why they don't call this a planet. Logically, (laughs) it looks like a planet to me. What do you think, uh, T-Boz? Oh, T-Dave, I I agree. This is definitely a planet. God, that's a, hey, 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 did someone just go by us faster than light? whoa i think they did we should go say hi to those folks that's how i think it happened you know what if it was like uh uh, hey did you see that did you see that ship you shoot by hold on a second let me call the federation the earthlings just had uh, we need to make first contact with earth is that okay but there is no federation that's my point let us send hold on hold on let us send the vulcans instead (laughs) oh cool your jets can you imagine if they were the ones that came to the planet first? The Ferengi? Yeah, the Ferengi were the ones that, that showed great. up. That was all out of their system at that point, thank God. This was this is quite a motion picture. It is it is an epic. It's, it holds up. I enjoyed the viewing of this more than I ever have. I, I don't remember liking it as much as I did watching it on this past, so I do think it holds up, and I, I was happy to see it again. I agree. I, I do think it holds up. I mean, I guess for me, the, the big thing is how dramatically different it is from at least the first two seasons. Sure. 
of the show. I, I get what you're saying. There's there's some good to that. It's definitely an entertaining film. The only downside to this is that I, still, I, I don't like the way they treat the female characters in this. And even though you right. had a super strong character in Alfre Woodard, she had to play second in the storyline, at least, to Cochran. And there was really no reason for that. She could have just had equal billing. And then, of course, as we have said, our poor Crusher's role was just crushed in this one. You know what? I'm still holding out for the uh, second season of Picard's on its way. By the time this airs, it'll probably be out already. Yes, I'm excited about it, too. And and supposedly Beverly shows up. So maybe she gets more than just a cameo. I would love I would love for them to bookend the series with the two of them getting together or something, something satisfying like that. I would really like to see Beverly. And because I was thinking today about other possibilities besides Picard. I understand they're they're doing Strange New Worlds, they're doing Discovery, right. they're going in different directions like that. But the Captain Worf show we've talked about, the Captain Riker show would be good. Oh, my God. You know, you could have Troy and Jordy on there both. I mean, there's so many different ways to go with this, these characters. Paramount is finally doing this, and I, and I think it's probably seeing, like, the super success of Disney-Marvel franchise sure. spinning sure. off on all these things and going like, hey, you know what? It doesn't hurt the brand to put out a lot of different versions of this one thing. And they were so precious with it back in the original series days and then in, you know, next gen. And they were just so careful with releasing these new shows. We're ready for stuff like that. And why not bring back the secondary cast? I mean, and I'm calling everybody that isn't Picard the secondary cast and put them, <laughs> put them in some show together where you wouldn't you watch a show where you just part of the episode was what is Beverly Crusher up to? Part of the episode right. is the Warp show. Part of the episode is what's going on with Deanna. I mean, I would love to see that. I, I, I why not? I agree. Dear listeners, oh my God. we have dissected a part of Next Generation lore with both love and a degree of undeserved outrage. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a limit, a very, very little in the way of uh, toilet humor this episode. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry there's not more of that. But I, I also want to say, you know, a lot of people made a really good movie. It's super hard to make a great film. They didn't weren't able to repeat it, but it, it's great to see it here. Yes. Thank you. I, I I okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's true. as always I'm my sorry. Dark, dark cynical ambassador heart. I'm sorry I didn't talk more about the toilet, Andrew. We're saving <laughs> it for season three. And that's what's coming up next, dear listeners. We're gearing up for season three. Right. That'll be invading your podcasteries sooner rather than later. You like two weeks. Until that happens. Yes. I remain Ambassador Andrew. And with me, as always, Commander Dave E. Dave. And you've been listening to STTNG's Not, Not Another Star Trek Podcast. podcast. We still, it's 50 times. 50 <laughs> times we can't get it right. Let's go mind the store. Prepare for assimilation into season three of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek podcast. Can you believe it's our third season? Well, it is. And we're starting off with a real, uh, it's an episode. The boys will talk about a change of wardrobe. If you're a guest star on the show, they have a whole bunch of extra uniforms <laughs> that you have to go through and see which one fits and hope it doesn't smell. Then they'll catch up on your favorite acting ensign. He looked like he'd been sleeping all summer because it's like a, a Rip Van Crusher or something. He wakes up and he's like three. He looks three years older than he did at the end of last season. They'll learn Wesley's sordid history while his mother was away. Look, Mom. While you were gone, I, I became a man, and I made out with a shapeshifter. Oh, hey, Bev Crusher is back, and there's some explaining to do. Wes says, uh, you sent him to the far end of the Jeffrey's tube to look for sandwiches. Why would you do that? Oh, oh, listen, listen, you know tale of my wonderful sandwiches, Bev. Join us for Season 3, Episode 1, Evolution. On STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast.
that's the that's the kind of stuff that Trek fans would probably like to hear more of. <laughs> that's a fan favorite.